0: Our sermon text this morning is found in Matthew 27, verse 55 through twenty-eight, fifteen. And so here we are, finally coming to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, we have one more week we'll be looking at Matthew's Gospel next week, uh, not next week. Chad will be preaching for us from Hosea. Um, we're looking forward to that. But uh, again, we are coming to the close of Matthew's Gospel. And so we get... Easter in October. And indeed, every single Sunday is an Easter Sunday. In fact, Easter wasn't created as a church holiday until much later in the church calendar. But God's people have always met on the first day of the week because it is the day that Christ arose. And so let us read then these words concerning Jesus' burial and resurrection beginning in verse 55 of Matthew 27. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be taken to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut from the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember now how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing that stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, Go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask this morning that as we consider it, as it is proclaimed, we would indeed see the risen and living Savior. For in seeing, we would ask that we would also believe so that we might know you for all eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a line that Morgan Freeman speaks as the character read in my, probably my favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption, where he says to Andy, his friend, let me tell you something, friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. Better get used to that idea. And those lines, I feel, articulate many people's experience in this world. Hope feels like a dangerous thing. You see, people want to have hope but they really have no idea of how to find it or even what they are looking for, what hope actually is. And when you are searching in the dark for something that you really have no knowledge of, of what it is, it results into crashing into everything else and falling to the floor. Oftentimes people grab onto what they think is hope, especially in difficult circumstances and and troubling times only to feel it slip away through their fingers as things go from bad and to worse and no doubt that is how jesus disciples felt as he is buried into this tomb in the ground all their hope is being buried with him as we see our text begins Jesus is sealed into a tomb. Matthew, as we have seen through this whole gospel, loves to give us specific details. And he does that again concerning the burial of Jesus. We are introduced to a disciple we have never met before, this man named Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew tells us he is a wealthy man, a man of means. Mark and Luke in their Gospels explained that he is actually a member of the Sanhedrin, that Jewish high court which had sentenced Jesus to death. And that is something, of course, he did not give his consent to. As a man of wealth and influence, he was able to secure then a proper burial for Jesus. Most victims of Roman crucifixion were simply left on the cross after they had died. After all, this was to be a deterrent to others who would think to challenge the power of Rome and Roman rule. But according to Hebrew law, a body could not be left in the open. So oftentimes what would happen to Jewish people who were executed on a cross, they were buried, albeit it wasn't in a tomb, but a mass grave. This man, Joseph of Arimathea, though, out of his devotion to Christ, he goes to Pilate the governor and requests Jesus' body for burial. And this is a very bold request. It would take some courage. After all, he is a member of the Sanhedrin. This action would not have been well received amongst the fellow members of the courts. But having secured Jesus, we see he proceeds to bury him with great care. And we are given a a step-by-step description of the process. First, we're told they, they wrapped his body in clean linen, and the implication of that linen is that this is not some simple rough woven fabric. This is something of value. After all, Joseph was a wealthy man. His action was very much like the woman who poured out the oil upon Jesus before his death. It is extravagance. We also see that he, he places Jesus into a new tomb. That is to say, nobody had ever been buried there before tombs. Around Jerusalem were caves hollowed out in the rock. You can still see some of them to this day. And they were owned usually by wealthy families. So multiple members of the same family would be buried there from generation to generation. But this is a tomb nobody had ever been buried in before. We also see that this is Joseph's tomb. That is to say, it was intended for him when he died and for the members of his family. So Jesus is placed into that tomb. And a heavy, large stone is placed over the entrance, which was also a common practice to discourage grave robbers and wild animals from disturbing those who had been buried within. And so the great hope of the world, the great hope of his disciples is sealed away behind that great stone door. We read here they're watching all this unfold where some of Jesus's female disciples verse 61 Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite the tomb these are the same two women who uh, with others had seen Jesus actually die on the cross remember all the other disciples had fled in fear but they witnessed this they stayed to watch Jesus die And then two of them, at least, watched as he was taken down from the cross and wrapped in the linen and placed in the tomb, and the door was shut. They saw all of this. They who had traveled with him for so many years, helping him, ministering to him, caring for him, they stay even though they can no longer care for him. And so we have to ask the question then, why all the details about the burial? I mean, Matthew could have just said he was put in a tomb and that was it, but he gives us all these little details. Why does he take the time to tell us about this process, letting us know that Jesus was wrapped in the clean linen, placed into a newly constructed tomb with a large stone door? Why does he mention the women who watched Jesus die and then watched him be buried? in the grounds? Well, the answer is he wants us to understand that Jesus actually did die. This was a historical event. He was really dead. He was not feigning death. It was not some illusion or magic trick. He was actually dead. There was no life in him. Joseph, when he goes to Pilate, He asked for a physical body, a corpse. And that corpse, that physical body, is wrapped in those burial linens. A brand new tomb was used so there could be no mistaking where Jesus was buried. He was the only body in there. A heavy stone is closed upon the grave. And it would then be exceedingly difficult for anybody to get in from the outside and it would be impossible to get out from the inside. And all of this is witnessed by women. Now women we know at this time in history, they were not thought about as reliable witnesses. They didn't have a very high status in that day. And so if in a historical narrative, women are mentioned as witnesses, it adds credibility to what is said. Matthew makes the point to state that women saw Jesus die and were buried, and women were there when He rose as well, as we'll see in a moment you only mention women as witnesses in a historical narrative if what take, put, took place is absolutely certain and irrefutable. There was no doubt then Jesus was actually dead. The grave swallowed him. The stone was rolled into place and hope was sealed in that cold rock cave with Jesus. But it gets worse. Matthew tells us that on the next day, day two after Jesus' death on the cross, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they also go to Pilate with a request concerning the burial of Jesus. And rather than coming, of course, with the care of a devoted disciple, they come with a different concern. As we read in verse 63... Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Though Jesus is actually dead, they're still worried about him and the challenge he presented to their authority and power over the people. They do not actually believe that he would rise from the dead, but they thought, well, his disciples would manufacture some sort of fraud. They'll take him. And the rumors then would spread of a risen Messiah and that would be far greater threat to to them, to their power and their control than a living man who claimed to be a Messiah. Especially if it was one who had been executed by them for blasphemy. And so they get their guard. Now there's some speculation whether these were Roman auxiliary soldiers or the Jewish temple guard. It could have been either, Uh, it doesn't matter though. What matters is that there were armed guards set to watch the tomb to prevent what uh, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees feared most, an empty tomb. And then for an added measure of protection, we are told that they had a seal placed upon that door. That was probably a cord, a rope that was stretched across the stone door with a wax seal upon it. That wax seal probably bore some insignia, possibly Pilate's or that of the Sanhedrin. The idea was that this is closed up. This was like a police do not cross line. If you cross this, there would be consequences. The seal added a, a sense of authority Uh, over the whole matter break the seal break the law face the consequences of those in control and once again the point of all this detail and this account is to tell us that yes jesus was actually buried not only was he actually dead he was actually buried everything is final a deep cave of a tomb Grave clothes, a massive stone door, an official guard, an official seal. Jesus was dead, shut in, buried. There was no getting out. And the hope of many was sealed in that tomb as well. Because if you can keep Jesus dead and buried, you can ignore any claim of kingship, of lordship that he has over you. You can ignore who he said He was who he claimed to be. You see, people still do that. They still want to bury Jesus so they do not have to reckon with who he truly is. Now today, of course, we do not bury Jesus in a tomb. We can't. He is a living Savior. But we still try to bury him. What do people do? Well, they, They suppress the knowledge of him. They deny who he truly is, what he has truly done, and what he has truly said. People have no problem, of course, with a historical Jesus. After all, the Jesus of history cannot be denied. The weight of the evidence, both biblical and extra-biblical, is overwhelming. But a Jesus who is actually Emmanuel, God in the flesh, a Jesus who died on the cross for sinners as a sacrifice in their place, taking the holy judgment of God upon himself so that they might be forgiven, a Jesus who rose from the grave, that is a Jesus they cannot accept, and so they bury him. Because if they did accept, if they did acknowledge it, they would have to bow to who he is. They would have to worship him. They would have to confess him as Lord and king of all. But if you do that, if you do confess him as Lord and as king, it means you cannot be the king of your own life. And so people bury Jesus... We get all different versions of Jesus. To some, he's a prophet of history. To others, a moral teacher. To some, a Jewish insurrectionist. To others, a philosopher. So as long as he isn't who he actually claimed to be, And under all those different Jesuses, people bury the true Son of God and refuse to acknowledge Him. But the problem is when you do that, when you try to seal Jesus away in a grave of history or a grave of philosophy or a grave of a social gospel or a grave of a prosperity gospel or anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ that He proclaimed, the gospel of His kingdom, when you do that, You lose all real hope. So no wonder then that this world marches on in so much despair. Oh, there is temporary hope that is offered. Sometimes it seems we can improve our situation for a while. That is God's common grace. We make our lives better with things like friends and family and work and recreation and wealth and health. But all those eventually will fade away. The hope they give us is like a butterfly that lands on a flower for a little bit and you marvel at the beauty of it and then it flutters away. It's gone. You never see it again. The specters of sin and death hang over everyone, casting their hopeless shadow. And so we need a hope then that truly breaks that darkness forever. We need the hope of Jesus, which is exactly what we get in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. You see, even though people try to bury Him, even though they buried him in the ground literally then and people tried to bury him in their minds now, he is alive. Because hope has risen with the risen Christ. And just as Matthew relays many details about Jesus to show us that he was actually and truly dead, he gives us even more to confirm that he is truly risen, that he is truly alive. And all those details, or as with all those details of his death being so intentional, these details also are intentional. In fact, when we look at that death and that burial, that he was really dead, it makes the resurrection even more amazing. For Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. And first, we notice these intentional parallels between Jesus' death and burial and his resurrection. So we read in Matthew twenty-eight one. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. When Jesus died on the cross a miraculous darkness descended upon the land. But now, on the day that he arises, the brilliant light of dawn is shining upon that cold tomb and warming the face of that rock door. Also, when Jesus died, there was a great earthquake confirming that God was at work in the world. Things were changing, and as he arises, what do we see? Another earthquake. God was at work yet again. The hopelessness of the grave, the hopelessness of the world, was coming to an end in the shaking of the earth as the Savior rises to meet the dawn. And the reason for the earthquake, we're told, is that there was an angel of the Lord who came down from God's presence, rolling away that heavy stone door. Again, we see the, the light and the brilliance continue to be a, a highlight in this description as we see the angel described as, as being clothed with clothing like lightning and being white like snow. The sight of the angel, like angels often do when they appear to men and women, causes great fear amongst those who saw him. The guards fell down in sheer terror, becoming like dead men. And what irony it is that here they fall down as if they are dead, but Christ is not in the tomb. He is not among the dead. This angel was a being of such awesome power that the the seal on the tomb and the trembling guards and the heavy stone, they are no match for him. But that power, that power of the angel pales in comparison to the message of hope he brings to the women who are at the tomb witnessing this. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, in the Gospel of Matthew, we find angels speaking to people in only two areas. In the beginning, in the first couple chapters, and here at the end. We saw them at the beginning as they communicate to Joseph in a dream and also to the Magi the wonders of the newborn Christ of Emmanuel, God with us. They brought a message of great joy and hope. And here they come to these frightened Desperate women, and they bring another message of joy and hope. The Savior was risen. And so the angel, he assures the women not to fear. While they sought the dead Christ, they would not find him, for they needed to seek him amongst the living. He is not here, for he is risen. Verse 6, as he said, Come see the place where He lay. It is an invitation to look into the tomb. And this is so remarkable because in the rolling away of the tomb, as the angel removes the door, it was not to let Jesus out. He was already gone. He removed the stone door so that the women could look in and see the evidence Jesus was gone. The tomb was already empty. He's inviting them, come, look, and see your hope has risen. And that is an invitation though that echoes out across time and it comes to us as well. God in His wisdom is giving us the evidence to believe. Just as there is no doubt that Jesus was really and truly dead because of all those details, so is the fact that he arose and is now alive, confirmed by that same detail. You see, the most valid way of determining truth is actually eyewitness. In court, eyewitnesses carry the most powerful evidence for a case. And that is what we have in the Gospels An overwhelming amount of eyewitness evidence. Just like Jesus' death and burial, Matthew gives us the names and the places and the events and the times of things that happened because people were there and could confirm it. Telling us those little things like the resurrection occurring on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath, were important. The fact that Jesus is placed in a new tomb means there's no mistaking the tomb. Women knew exactly where Jesus was supposed to be buried, and now He's not there. The very care taken by the the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees is an important historical detail to tell us Again, that Jesus was really dead and buried so that when the tomb is actually found empty, it means he had left. After all, it had been sealed, but now he's not in there. People had seen him placed in there, but now he is not there. As certain as Jesus and death and burial were confirmed by the facts of history, so too is his resurrection. But consider this. As powerful a witness an empty tomb is to the validity of Jesus' resurrection and the hope that it brings, there is yet a more powerful testimony of his resurrection. In fact, if all we had was an empty tomb, that would give us some hope, but it would leave some room for doubt as well. Where did Jesus go? So the angel tells the woman to go then, quickly, without delay, tell the other disciples. And with a mixture of fear and joy, they do so. With with awe and rejoicing, they run to tell the other disciples. But before they can get there, Matthew tells us in verse 9, Behold, Jesus met and said, Greetings. Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came and took hold of His feet and worshiped Him. Again, an empty tomb would create great hope, but to actually meet Jesus in the flesh and be greeted by Him, and then to to touch the risen Christ in worship, that would cause real hope to explode in one's heart. And so Jesus meets the women He comes to them and he meets them and he greets them with a common, a simple greeting. There's something so human, so earthly about that. Jesus doesn't say anything flashy. He doesn't say, I told you so. He just gives them a common, warm, friendly greeting. And as miraculous and supernatural as Jesus' resurrection is, there's also something very natural about it. He's greeting them with a common greeting. Jesus had a real body. He wasn't a ghost. In fact, the women touch him. They take hold of his feet in this beautiful act of worship. They physically touched him. He was flesh and blood. Jesus' instructions to the women also confirm this. He says in verse 10, "Do not be afraid, go and tell my, my brothers, go to Galilee uh, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Go and tell my brothers." Again, you hear the warmth and the gentleness in His voice. He calls His disciples his brothers. These are the men who had abandoned him at his death. They fled in terror as he is arrested in a garden. Peter denied him in the courtyard at the place of trial. They are now scattered in cowering and hiding. All hope is lost. But now he restores hope by calling them his brothers, his family. Jesus does not abandon those who run from him. Also notice he says go to, to tell them to go to Galilee and they will see me. They will look on me with their own eyes. They will see me with a true body. I am risen. And so again, the words of comfort and hope accompany the words that he has risen from the dead. Yes, the world has tried to bury Jesus. They tried to bury the one true hope that they really need, but Jesus has overcome all those obstacles to bring everlasting hope to his people. The grace of God, through the limitless love of the Father, and the awesome authority of the Son, and the providential power of the Spirit changed hopelessness into an absolute hope that is never-ending. And because of that, Jesus invites you. He invites you. The living Savior invites you to have that same hope by seeing Him and believing Him. Now, hope is not a dangerous thing, after all. You only need to have the right hope, the risen hope of Jesus Christ. He's the hope that overcomes all hopelessness and despair. And there is a good chance that you are sitting here this morning, like me, you often feel the hopelessness of this world. Perhaps you feel there is no hope for you. Your shame and your guilt... Uh, of your sins that you have committed against God, all your failures, everything that you have messed up, they seem too much to overcome. But they're not. Because Christ already overcame death to save you from all of that. A stone barrier, a royal seal, armed guards, they could not keep him buried. It's interesting as we look at the fact that there were these women, we, we, we see that theme throughout the whole death and burial of Christ. Many women watched him die on the cross. The same women watched him in tomb as we've already noted. And the same women were there at the empty tomb. Well, why women? Well, like we've already established, they were unlikely witnesses. So, If they are included in a historic narrative, it's because their testimony is absolutely true. But there's another reason why the women are involved in this as well. Because of all the people, of all of Jesus' disciples at that time that needed some hope, it would have been the women. It would have been the women who were his disciples, Mary Magdalene was a demoniac whom Jesus had healed. The other Mary is somewhat of a mystery. It could have been his mother. It could have been another Mary. It was a pretty popular name at the time. But as women in that society and that time in history, they didn't have much to actually hope for. And so when Jesus died and was buried, the hope they did have of his kingdom was gone sealed in that tomb. But then to these hopeless women, Jesus gives the honor and the privilege of his very first resurrected greeting. They had witnessed so much pain and suffering. They saw him hanging in agony on the cross, bloodied and beaten and torn and dying And they couldn't do anything about it. They had ministered to Him for so long, caring for Him as He traveled with His disciples, proclaiming the Gospel, and now they couldn't do anything. They felt so helpless. And they had seen, as they watched from a distance, the darkness. They felt it descend. As the wrath of God is poured out on Christ, they heard that cry of forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that, they no doubt felt forsaken by God as well. And then they saw Him buried. It was over. He was put in a real tomb in the ground. So their hearts are so heavy with despair. And the other disciples, the men who should have had more courage, were gone, hiding. They were the only ones left, it felt. And then all of that hopelessness dissolves in the sound of a simple, warm greeting. And it is that voice that is calling out to you. Jesus is calling out to you to come and to look and to see the empty tomb, to come and to see him, to know him who is alive forevermore. He comes to those like these women and to you and to I who need real hope because we live around so much despair. So listen to the echo of an empty tomb. He is not there, for he has risen. Hear his voice calling out to you and saying, Greetings. Hope has risen. And its name is Jesus Christ. And so fall at his feet and worship him. Worship him who has defeated sin and death and Satan, overcoming all enemies, all obstacles, so that he might give you everlasting hope. Let us pray. Father in heaven, indeed, we are thankful for the hope of the gospel. It is not a mere wish, a mere desire that something would be true, but it is a hope that is confirmed to be true because Jesus has indeed risen from the grave. And so, Father, I pray that you would encourage your people, impress this upon our hearts. Help us to remember that our living Savior is with us even now in this place, ministering to us. Let us hear that warm greeting, and in hearing it, fall down and worship him in thanksgiving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.